Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing great. On this Thursday, we have some important and fascinating stories to jump into, so let's go ahead and get into our first one. Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, agreed to get questioned, voluntarily agreed, uh, by the January 6th Select Committee, and she walked in to do that today. So this is a very big moment and interesting stuff going on there with the January 6th committee. And hopefully we'll get some insight into what the heck she was doing because we got those texts that came out of her messaging. Again, the wife of a Supreme Court justice mess, uh, messaging people all in Trump's orbit saying, come on, you know, we need to overturn the 2020 election. We need to keep Trump in power. And all of these Democrats are going to get put into a barge off the coast of Gitmo or whatever. Very, very bizarre theory she has in her head. She's clearly a full-on right-wing conspiracy theorist. And so one of the concerns is she's someone with some level of influence. You know, she has the connections because of her uh, husband. But then also it makes you wonder how much is Clarence Thomas not able to see these issues in some sort of an unbiased manner as a Supreme Court justice. And he was one of the people who voted with Donald Trump on a very big case while the rest of the Supreme Court went the other direction. So you see why this is a concern and uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. So reading from the Associated Press, conservative activist Virginia Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, appeared on Thursday for a voluntary interview with the House panel investigating the January 6th insurrection. The committee has for months sought an interview with Thomas in an effort to know more about her uh, role in trying to help former President Donald Trump overturn his election defeat. She texted with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and contacted lawmakers in Arizona and Wisconsin in the weeks after the election. Thomas did not answer questions when she arrived, and we'll look at that entry in just a second here, on Capitol Hill for the interview or later when she briefly left for a break. But she did tell reporters she was looking forward to answering questions from the members of the committee. So that's good. She's not going to uh, just sit down and plead the fifth. That makes sense because, again, it was voluntary, but it was something they've been seeking out for a while now. Um, and so it's a moment that she finally agreed. And as was highlighted in that article, she was really trying to do stuff. She was trying to make plays. She was reaching out to state lawmakers to encourage them to go against the will of the people and uh, keep Trump in power. As I remind you, and then we'll look at this clip uh, right after, we cannot get numbed out to how absolutely bat blank crazy this moment is, right? We cannot get numbed out to the fact that the President of the United States, the allies around him, including the wife of a Supreme Court justice, were doing everything in their power to keep that president in power, even though he lost, to go against the will of the people, to overturn a free and fair election. We cannot forget how wild that is. So then here is Jenny Thomas entering um, and getting asked some questions, but choosing not to give any specifics. Ms. Thomas, why do you feel like you need to speak to the committee to clear your name? Thank you for being here. Did you speak with your husband about your beliefs of the election being stolen? Thank you for your question. I look forward to answering with members. You need to speak to the committee to clear your name. Okay, a uh, little... A little weird vibe there, to be honest. She's kind of blankly smiled at the camera. Um, but that's her prerogative. She's allowed 
to not answer questions when reporters ask them. But again, it will be interesting to see uh, what comes out of these interviews. And hopefully, eventually, in some way or another, people like her will be held accountable. We can't live in a country where there's this uh, number of people and this significant of people being proudly against our democratic process. <clears throat> and again, I'll say, I go back and forth on certain individuals, right? Oh, are they lying because they want a certain ends and they don't care about the democratic process to get there uh, and they're trying to go to some political um, outcome, right? But they know in their heart of hearts that the election wasn't stolen. And I tell y'all sometimes, I don't know if this person is delusional or dishonest, right? Jenny Thomas, guys, I am convinced is just delusional. This isn't me just trying to insult her. I'm being 100% serious. If you read those texts, she is full on in private, bought into these conspiracy theories. And it shows you, and this is the saddest part, that the social media echo chambers and algorithms that uh, people go down, those rabbit holes that people go down. And a lot of times the, the people we think of when we think of that phenomenon are kind of your average voter who's just kind of scrolling through Facebook and getting propagandized. But there's some equality there as far as uh, social media mental manipulation goes because Jenny Thomas, someone who's very influential and very prominent, also, I truly believe, got sucked down those conspiracy theory uh, pipelines, those conspiracy theory rabbit holes, and genuinely believes the wacky stuff that she talks about. Super sad. Uh, we'll be following this as it develops. Joe Biden had what is admittedly a very, very concerning moment. And so, for one, I want to cover this just because I think it's warranted of coverage, but then also to show, listen, I'm not trying to play team sports. Now, there's a clear good side, uh, or I should say a better side and a much worse side within the political uh, reality that we're currently in. So you'll see I make that clear. I'm rooting for the Democrats in the upcoming midterms. I defend them against Republican attacks a lot. But it's not to say that I don't have a complete position in which I want to also um, make clear whenever Democrats mess up or um, are not good enough. And so oftentimes that comes in the form of me criticizing, uh, criticizing them for not doing enough, right? They should have done more with the Inflation Reduction Act. They should have done more in all these areas. But good thing they did something. This is a different type of criticism. Oftentimes, somewhat edited clips get sent around of Biden saying stuff. And then you look more into it and it's like, okay, that wasn't as big of a gaffe as the right is pretending. No, he's not dementia ridden because of this clip, right? This is a different case. I genuinely think this is deeply embarrassing on the part of Joe Biden, and I see why it's going so viral, and that's why I wanted to cover it, and uh, I do think it's, again, pretty humiliating that this happened. So he was giving a speech, and he calls out multiple times for a former congresswoman who died in a car wreck, um, who he actually reached out to the husband of after that car wreck to, you know, make sure he was okay, give his condolences, all that type of stuff, and in this moment, he forgets that and calls out for her, thinking that she's in the room. Take a look. Since that time, advances in research and medicine have taught us so much more about nutrition and health. And today, I'm convening this conference again 
because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here to help make this a reality. So you can tell there's a level of, wait, 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 that doesn't sound right. And so by the way he was reading that off, I think maybe this speech got written well in advance or someone else in his staff forgot or um, something. I don't know, because that was odd. And you could tell he's reading at that moment. And then something in his brain was like, wait, the Jackie, is she, maybe she's not going to be here. Something about Jackie's not fitting right, you know, in this moment where the rest of them he just listed off in order. So you could tell something seemed off, but then in that moment, he didn't pick up on it. So what's my response to this? Again, people are trying to make the statement that this means he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who he is, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's that. Um, as the president of the United States, you do interact with tons of people, with tons of congressmen and women, and you make tons of calls to people whenever they lose, lose loved ones. So it's not to say that it's not disrespectful. It is that he forgot that uh, information and he has interacted directly um, with her, her husband. So that's very, very upsetting, I'm sure, on the part of the husband. And we'll look at his statement in a second here. But I don't necessarily think it's a sign of, oh, he literally forgets everything all the time, as you'll hear the right say constantly. Um, but it does seem to be a memory, uh, you know, fault in that moment. Here is the White House press secretary responding to a question about it. People of, of Florida, that is the focus, and that's going to continue to be the focus these next couple of days. One final one. Sure. What happened in the hunger event today? The president appeared to look around the room uh, for an audience member, a member of Congress who passed away last month. He seemed to indicate she might be in the room. What, so, what happened there? So the president w was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will be a, a bill signing in her honor this coming Friday. Uh, so, of course, she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He uh, looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. He said, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here. No, I totally understand. I just I just explained she was on top of mind. Uh, um, you know, she, this wasn't what we were able to witness today and what the president was able okay. to. So I don't know necessarily what the best response from the press secretary would have been. That doesn't seem to be it, kind of playing it off like, no, he didn't forget. He just had her on his mind. But I think a reasonable response is, you know, she would have been there if it weren't for this horrible tragedy. And thus, he was going through all the people who worked on this kind of mission. And for a moment, you know, in the midst of the speech, lost his train of thought, whatever it was, um, he would have to, I, I think honesty is the best policy in that situation, playing it off like what happened didn't really happen to me comes off a little bit icky. Um, but here is the husband of this individual 
saying that he doesn't hold it against Biden, but also indicating that he's concerned about uh, Biden's mental capacity. So then here is he, uh, here's him saying he made a phone call after my sister was killed and he was very sincere in his relaying the grief process because he's been through the, uh, been through that grief process. He knows all about it. All I'm saying right now about the president is bless his heart for trying. Yeah, it was a big mess up today. Inexcusable, no. Unforgivable, no. I'm not going to hold against him. I just feel sorry for him. So a very mild-mannered response there from the husband. And um, again, admittedly a very embarrassing moment. And I do think there's something fair to be said that uh, Biden is aging. He is. And I do think his mental faculties are declining. Now, I don't think it's to the level that all of the right-wingers pretend that it is. Oh my gosh, he doesn't know his own name. He doesn't know where to go. But it's obvious. It's there. It's present. Uh, we've had it with other presidents in the past as well. But I think this is one of the primary reasons that Biden shouldn't be planning on running for re-election. Let me know what you think in the comments. A very heartbreaking but profound story got put out by the New York Times. Just trying to cue it up here so y'all can listen. And what they did was they wrote about these Russian soldiers calling home and pretty much saying in different terms, I don't want to do this. I can't be a part of this. Some of them saying, I want to come home. Um, and Putin sent us here for no reason, things to that effect. But a very impactful part of it is they didn't just quote these Russian soldiers phone calls. They got audio recordings of the phone calls and uh, put it within embedded in this article. So hopefully this will work nicely where y'all can hear and see it and it plays kind of smoothly. Obviously, the tech could be a little bit weird, so be patient, but uh, I'll play you a few of the phone calls. Again, it's just so, so heartbreaking. And it shows you even the soldiers on the ground don't have their hearts in this. So I'd say heartbreaking because it shows you the reality of this war. Now, these individuals may have done horrible things, and that is something they should be 100% morally condemned for, and they're not the victims in the story, right? But to hear how even the ones on the wrong side, on the offensive side of this, don't have their hearts in it and don't believe in the mission shows you the reality of this. Okay, take a look. I'll turn down a read. So he says, hi, hello, mommy. We are positioned in uh, Bukatown. Our offensive has stalled. We're losing the war. Half of our regiment is gone. We were given an order to kill everyone we see. When I come home, I'm quitting. F the army. Putin is a fool. He wants to take Kiev, but there's no way we can do it. Putin is a fool, uh, but there's no way we can do it. And here's another one. F, there are corpses lying around on the road. Civilians are just lying around. It's effed up. Right on the road? Yes, everything was effing looted. All the alcohol was effing drunk, and all the cash was taken. Everyone is doing it here. Um, and then we'll get to just two more. No one told us we were going to war. They warned us one day before we left. We were all going for training for two or three days. Bro, I understand. This is the other one speaking. We were effing fooled like little kids. I didn't know this was going to happen. They said we were going for training. These uh, bastards didn't tell us anything. And so you can see what has been suspected and reported is that even the soldiers weren't notified until right before that this was going to happen. 
Um, and then all the way up to the chain of command to generals and stuff weren't told or the equivalent in military terms. Not sure if they have the exact same labels, but uh, high up military leaders weren't even told this was happening until Putin all of a sudden uh, notified them. And then here's one more. Mom, this war is the stupidest decision our government ever made, I think. What else do they say? When is he going to finish all this? Putin, F. He says everything is going according to the plan and the timeline. This is the other person on the other side of the phone. And then it wraps up with the soldier saying he was gravely mistaken. So I'll link this below if you want to go through all of them and then read the descriptions in between each of the audios. Again, they kind of have it embedded. Super cool. Sorry if that was a weird way to do it. Uh, try to deliver that so our podcast listeners could understand what was going on and not only the video viewers reading, but uh, again, this war from every perspective is devastating and it shows you so rarely, so rarely in a deeply complex geopolitical world like the one we're in it is so rare that one man is this responsible for an event of this magnitude but in the case of the russian invasion of ukraine it really is putin it is vladimir putin who made a decision based on his distorted view of ukraine being a part of russia or rightfully is and he wants to restore Russia to the glory of former Soviet Union power and all of these things. And because of that, he caused mass devastation that is going on every day. Now, the one hopeful part of this is, as some of these soldiers indicated, it's not going well for Russia. It isn't. That wasn't the expectation, as we've talked about. People predicted, even military analysts, because of the objective military superiority of Russia that they would be able to conquer pretty quickly and effectively. They haven't been able to do that. A lot of the credit goes to, uh, you know, the primary credit goes to the Ukrainian strength and courage, but then also the support they've been getting from other countries is absolutely playing a role as, uh, as well, which is good. And because of that, the war is not going well for Russia. Their own soldiers are not wanting to be there. And they think the leader of it all is a fool. I have just a few Trump stories to smush together into one um, real quick. The first is that now, based on a recent uh, filing or letter, a part of the court process from the Trump side, it's been revealed that 200,000 pages of documents were acquired through the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. 200,000 pages. That is incredible because we knew how many documents, but then now page by page, 200,000. So reading a little bit about this from Newsweek, lawyers from, Do uh, lawyers for Donald Trump recently claimed the FBI seized around 200,000 pages of documents from his Mar-a-Lago resort during the search for classified materials, a number significantly higher than the 11,000 that they said was previously cited. In a letter to Judge Raymond Deary filed in the Eastern District Court of New York Wednesday, Trump's legal counsel said that they are struggling to find an outside vendor who can upload and host the documents taken from the former president's Florida home in August because of the sheer volume of documents that were seized from Trump's home in August. Earlier this month, Deary was appointed 
to the role of special master, as we've discussed, in order to review the documents in order to determine which ones are protected by attorney-client or executive privilege. The Department of Justice previous pre, excuse me, previously revealed that around 11,000 documents were taken from Mar-a-Lago, in addition to dozens of files marked classified and top secret. In their letter to Deary, Trump's team said that the 11,000 documents totaled 200,000 pages hindering their attempts to bring in an independent vendor to host the documents so all parties can see them. So you can see because of the logistical challenge that this magnitude of information to get uploaded is causing, we're now aware, at least from the Trump team's claims, and it seems like in this case it would be to their benefit to tell the truth, it's that amount of documents. Which cracks me up because whenever they first started making excuses on the right about, about why it was okay that Trump took these documents, it almost was described as if, ah, they just accidentally grabbed a couple boxes they thought were, you know, his personal books and really they were the documents. Um, or someone accidentally walked out of there and had a sheet of paper in their back pocket and that was the one top secret. Obviously, then no one said that, but it was that kind of diminishing of the significance of what Trump had his hands on. You don't accidentally load 200,000 pages of documents to Mar-a-Lago after you leave the White House. None of that. No, stop it. That's not a thing, okay? Um, and so it is showing that time and time again as this investigation continues, each one of the excuses or at least... Um, vibes in which they were trying to paint this whole situation is being proven to not be true. This is significant. A president taking 200,000 pages of documents when he leaves the White House, some of them top secret. Why was he doing that? Why didn't he turn them over when he was asked? All of those questions are absolutely warranted. And that's what the FBI is trying to figure out. And so wild stuff that Trump's team is now revealing just how significant um, this all is. Okay, second piece of Trump news to uh, slap on top of this. Apparently, there's a little bit of friction going on within the Trump team and uh, in between Trump and one of his lawyers who's being sidelined. Take a look. I want to ask you about the Trump has a new addition to his uh, legal team. His name is Chris Kyes. He's getting sidelined from Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. Uh, he was the big name brought up less than a month ago to really represent Trump on the issue, even negotiated a $3 million payment up front. He may still focus on other Trump investigations, but what is happening with him? Why is he being sidelined? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, Chris Kyes is one of the uh, sort of more accomplished lawyers on Trump's legal team. Really, the quality of his lawyering so far has been poor. And I think I'm being sort of generous in even stating it that way. The arguments have been weak. The strategy has been all over the map. And we're seeing it backfire, for example, with the special master. These claims that Trump is making, he declassified documents, uh, um, documents were planted. The judge now, the special master, is calling him out on it. And part of the dilemma, I think, for any lawyer, whether it's Chris Kyes or anyone else, is you cannot make a false statement statement to a court knowingly. And if you're put in that position as a lawyer, then you have to step off of a case. I don't know that that's happening here, but the fact, and if Chris Kyes is in fact being sidelined or somehow minimized, that's not a good sign for Donald Trump and his legal strategy. Is it Kyes or is it that? So it seems to be the case that Chris Kyes, who was formerly um, one of the head leading lawyers on Trump's team is being sidelined. And what the CNN correspondent is speculating as to why that might be the case is because Trump's defense that he wants to go with is, 
let's say all the stuff I've been saying on social media. FBI planted documents. I didn't actually take the documents. It was some other transitionary team. Um, I can declassify with my brain. All of these things. And uh, the lawyer knows that I can't go in and blatantly lie. Otherwise, I'll be committing a crime. So there might be a situation where he's getting asked to say things that he can't under oath or he can't as a lawyer. Um, and so very, very fascinating. And then the third piece of Trump news is another little tidbit from this um, constant reporting gushing out of information that Maggie Haberman has been doing. And it's all coming from her new book, Confidence Man, that I think, again, is coming out Tuesday. I'm looking forward to that. Um, about how Trump was super, super angry that an ABC host asked him repeatedly questions about Vladimir Putin. He was angry that George Stephanopoulos had the gall to ask follow-up questions. So here is the excerpt that was obtained um, by this particular reporter. Quote, Trump summoned an ABC producer into a small area away from the cameras where Trump was surrounded by Secret Service agents and snarled. That was BS, Haberman reports. The producer, uh, that name, asked which part of the interview he meant. Russia, Trump replied. Eight effing follow-ups. Are you effing kidding me? He thundered. It's like asking me if I beat my wife. You ask me once, I say F no, and we move on. You don't then ask if I hit her with an effing baseball bat or an effing club, a golf club. That was BS and you, this is hard to censor. That was BS and you better effing fix it in the edit. Then Trump called for Stephanopoulos to join them. When Trump mentioned Russia, Stephanopoulos chuckled, saying, I know, my team says I didn't ask you enough about it. Trump exploded. Are you effing kidding me? 18 effing follow-ups. How many different ways do I have to say, I don't know the guy, he said, before eventually stalking off. That is so funny. First off, the fact that he upped the number the second time he brought up, 18 follow-ups now, is uh, hilarious. But it shows you and I think this is a trend among a lot of politicians that they honestly get offended whenever journalists do their job. Because what we should get whenever an individual, a politician especially, in a news interview like this doesn't answer the question completely or doesn't fully tell the truth or whatever it is, is that you keep pressing as the interviewer. But so often people on television ask politicians questions. The politicians give some weird avoidy type answer and get away with it. And so the times in which the uh, journalists or the uh, interviewers, I should say, don't do that, you'll see politicians get really upset and offended. And Trump definitely did that. So there we go. There's a package in one segment of recent Trump news for you. Tucker Carlson has been doing a lot of what we've identified as Russian pop propaganda. Now, I'm not saying that he's in coordination with Russia. A bunch of Russiagate people are going to be like, Russiagate, Russiagate, Russiagate. Yeah, we get it. Uh, anytime Russia's brought up, you scream that. Good for you. Okay, well, um, but he is definitely spreading the talking points that Russia, that Putin would absolutely want him to spread. Now, if you disagree with me on that, you're wrong. Not just because I think you're wrong, but because Russia thinks you're wrong, okay? Even Russian state media loves what Tucker Carlson is saying to the point where they're playing his clips on Russian state media. Let me repeat that. 
Russian state media, state-run media again, right? Okay. That their whole job is to spread Russian propaganda, plays clips of an American cable news host because they think that his talking points bolster their message to such an extent that they play him on the show. So first, let me just show you which segment made them particularly happy recently. And then I'll show you Russian state media actually playing Tucker Carlson. So this particular thing has been blowing up right now on the right that Biden sabotaged the Nord Stream pipeline. Okay. There was a leak in it and they're saying that he sabotaged it. That's the context. If they did this, this will be one of the craziest, most destructive things any American administration has ever done. But it would also be totally consistent with what they do. What do they do? They destroy. These people build nothing, not one thing. Instead, they tear down and they desecrate from historic statues to the Constitution to energy infrastructure. So you can see, trying to allude to the idea that Joe Biden uh, has been considering and likely did sabotage this um, this pipeline. So then here is Russian state media saying, you know who could say it better for us? American television host Tucker Carlson. Take a look. I think the results will be predictable. We will be blamed, but they don't believe that even in the United States. But they don't believe that even in the United States. The most popular American TV host, Tucker Carlson, devoted his latest segment to this topic. Watch this clip. And then they're showing another part of that segment that I showed you. Did the Biden administration really do this? And on and on and on. Okay, uh, no need to listen to a language you don't understand for a super long time. Um, so there we go. There we go, guys. Whenever I say that Tucker Carlson is spreading Russian propaganda and people go, eh, you just say everyone you don't like is a Russian agent. I'm not saying that he's a Russian agent in that sense, of course. I'm saying that he literally is spreading propaganda that's so good from the perspective of Russia that they're like, hey, let's cut to this guy. Let's cut to this guy to spread our propaganda. Truly, truly horrifying. And uh, Tucker Carlson won't be held accountable by his followers for it because apparently the Tucker Carlson audience supports Putin and Russia and all of this. I don't know. Crazy, crazy stuff. New Prime Minister of the UK, Liz Trust, did something shocking. Can you imagine? A conservative politician chose to cut taxes for the rich. Oh my goodness, crazy. So why am I talking about this? This is an American politics show. Well, because what is going wrong right now in uh, the UK because of these tax cuts that she's doing is just another example that this ideology of kind of the trickled down economics mindset that if you cut taxes for those who really don't need their taxes cut, you're going to magically help the economy. And pretty much unanimously, a large chunk of the economist community is like, hey, this was horrible based on the outcome that it has caused. And so we'll talk about Fox News saying this is amazing and how this is exactly what conservative politicians push for here. And this is a case study as to why this is not uh, smart. Liz Truss and Quasi Courting have doubled down on their economic plans after the Chancellor's mini-budget plunged the markets into chaos. In her first public comment since the announcements, Truss defended the measures, insisting urgent action was needed and that hers was the right plan. Courting's announcement on Friday, which included tax cuts worth tens of billions, sparked a sharp 
drop in the value of the pound and a surge in the price of government debt. It was harshly criticized by economists, with the IMF taking the unusual step of criticizing the unfunded tax cuts and warning that policies could increase inequality. Take a look at this. This is a little graph that shows you. On the far left is the number one, on the far right is the number 20, and it counts up. One represents the poorest people in the UK, and 20 represents the wealthiest. You can see None of the benefits are going to those at the bottom or the middle. It's all going to those at the top. Absolutely incredible. We see this time and time again in countries across the world, especially people who have a similar ideology as our conservative politicians here who believe, they don't really believe it, but they pretend to believe that, hey, we can help the average American by giving all of the money to the wealthy. It doesn't work. It's crushing right now the uk markets and um the the economy at large it doesn't look good for the future but that yet they do it anyways and they continue to push for it because likely that is uh who's funding oftentimes their campaigns and who they really are fighting on behalf of and it's horrible so you can see here a recent poll taken is showing huge gains for the labor party because the conservative party is representing um, this action. So I'll show you this graph once I can get it loaded. There we go. Uh, so the Labour Party at 45%, Conservative Party at 28%, and usually the Conservative Party is pretty uh, pretty dominant. That's why they won so many elections. And then here, uh, some of the actions that were taken in this mini-budget polled directly, do you think it's a good idea or a wrong priority, um, those at the kind of bottom four ones here that benefit the wealthy disproportionately are not popular at all. But then take a look at Fox Businesses talking about this. I just gave you the reality of the situation. Here's the reality on Fox Business. So the U.S. midterm elections cavalry arrived early in London. What do I mean by that? Well, the new British Prime Minister Liz Truss has laid out a terrific supply-side economic growth plan, Mm. which looks a lot like the basic thrust of Kevin McCarthy's commitment to America plan. Let's start with Truss. She is slashing tax rates and deregulating energy. I just love it. That's the liberal business media. This is so wonderful. The liberal business media. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I love, I love that he compared it to Kevin McCarthy. Because what he's saying is, listen, what the plan that Liz Truss and the other individual that I'm less familiar with uh, have enacted, that is currently hurting, obviously, economically, and is not looking good going forward. That is very similar to what the current Republican Party wants to push for. So true. So true. Absolutely. I hope they um, run on that. But it's clear. We need to stop believing people when they tell us, let's try trickle-down economics. Maybe it'll work good this time. No. Now, everyone uses different terms. Uh, We got to stimulate business. Sometimes they use to cut uh, massive companies' taxes. Or we need those at the top to be encouraged to invest more. And that's why we need to cut their taxes a bunch. And especially in the United States, where we already don't tax that aggressively, the wealthy, we definitely should not believe people when they say that type of rhetoric or when they spread that type of rhetoric because it time and time again is proven not to be true. 
a truly disturbing poll for democracy has come out that I want to take a look at here. Again, it's one of those moments where I say this is shocking, but not shocking. It's shocking, but not surprising, maybe is the way to say that, because we know this is the direction that the country is going based on the actions of Donald Trump and those who have supported him. Um, and this is just another example of it. But reading from Yahoo News, nearly two years after Donald Trump launched his relentless and baseless assault on the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election, excuse me, a scheme that culminated in his supporters' January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol, a new Yahoo News YouGov poll shows that less than half of Americans, 46%, now believe that candidates should commit in advance to accepting the results of this year's midterm elections. So what does that mean? Only 40%, uh, 46% of the country believes that candidates ahead of the election should say whichever way it goes, I'm going to accept the results. Now, when you hear that, and then we'll get to specifically Trump voters, but when you hear that, what is your conclusion? Wait, why is 46%? Because that's not just Trump voters saying that their candidate shouldn't concede. That is, uh, or accept the, the results. That is a lot of Democrats too and independents, right? And I think the reason is, for the most part, we had an understanding in the country that going into an election, all the candidates will accept the results whichever way it goes. And that's what allowed our democracy to operate smoothly. But now that Trump did what he did, and you see all of these uh, attempts that were taken to overturn the 2020 results, I think there's a lot of people on the left and Democrats who go, I can't say necessarily that the candidate should accept the results, because what if it's Trump again trying to, to uh, overturn the results, right? If people within this movement are going around and trying to chisel away at our democracy, you understand now why people who previously believed more in our democratic process are going, wait, are they going to try to completely, based on their lies about our election processes, actually overturn results whenever it doesn't go their way? Well, then I can't necessarily say that I'm going to accept results, right? Super scary. And then to zero in specifically on uh, Trump voters, among voters who cast their ballots for Trump in 2020, just a third say candidates should agree in advance to accept the results in this fall's elections. Only a third of Trump voters think that candidates should accept election results. This is what we're talking about. I've gotten asked before, why do you cover um, the threat to democracy or the actions of Trump in 2020 so often on your show. And it's so clear as to why. And the reason is because none of what I do, none of what any political commentator does matters if our de uh, democratic process falls apart. It doesn't matter, hey, you know, you should know this so that you can vote more intelligently or this, you should know this so you can participate in our democracy more if we don't have one. And right now we're seeing the effects of the actions that Trump took going across, rippling across our country to people of all different walks of life, not just MAGA Republicans, people losing faith in our democracy because we saw an individual almost successfully, I don't know how almost, but <laughs> attempted to overturn election results and have a lot of people believing that that was the right thing to do. And that's so scary. That is so threatening to our democracy. And that is why it's something I'm going to bring up all the time, nonstop, because people need to be aware of it. And I think 
it would be justified in this upcoming election to vote Democrats down ballot, even if you were the most conservative person in the country before Trump came into the political uh, world. Genuinely, I genuinely believe there are real policy differences that matter. Absolutely. But I think in this election, if you care about our, our democracy, it's justified no matter how much you hate liberal policies to vote Democrat down ballot, because that right now is the party that is trying to uphold democracy in some sense. I don't think they're fighting aggressively to do so. I think they should have worked more aggressively and more effectively to actually take actions that would have prevented the next Trump from doing something worse. But they are attempting in some way to uphold it. And they do respect the democracy much more than the other side. And so I think people shouldn't generally vote on one issue in this election when the one issue is keeping the very democracy that you're voting within. Yes, a one issue vote um, is absolutely justified. And I implore all people to do so in this upcoming midterms. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I will see you tomorrow.